1: It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rescuers Radio Show at Faith Talk 1360 and FaithTalk1360.com. Um, and it's uh, so good to be back with our worldwide audience today. And speaking of worldwide, my guest on uh, this episode of, Ra- of Rescuers, is a a world-renowned violinist, Jamie George. Jamie, hello.
1: Hi, Art. It is great to be with you. And I don't know about world-renowned, but certainly world-travel. <laughs> world-travel. <World-traveled>, yeah,
0: <laughs> we're going to talk about that because yes. there's some mileage involved there. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, I, I should have said Jamie hey, Jorge, right? <laughs>
1: Or Jaime. Or Jaime Jorge. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>. Excellent. Absolutely. <laughs> That's why I go by Jamie George.
0: That's right. Well, Jamie, uh, I always have our guests uh, start off the program with the backstory of you, and, and yours is so interesting. Uh, let our audience know exactly where you came from and how you got to this point.
1: Okay. Well, I was born in Cuba uh, and started playing the violin at the age of five. Uh, at the age of nine, uh, after uh, potentially winning a competition, uh, that was not won because uh, communist and socialist countries typically do not believe in God, and and they do not want people believing in God. And my family had uh, been raised as Christians. Um, mm. We were. Uh, offered this on the condition, I was offered a scholarship to go to Moscow and study at the Tchaikovsky Conservatory of Music, wow. but the only kavit uh, and, and uh, consideration was that I had to give up my faith in God, which I told them I would not do, and mm-hmm. so they said, well, you will probably never amount to anything, wow. uh, so um, I said, well, that's okay. Uh, however we were very very fortunate that uh, we were allowed to leave Cuba both the Cuban government allowed us to leave and the United States uh, through a sponsorship program uh, allowed us to come into this country and so we arrived in December of 1980 uh, about 40 years ago now Um, and I've been here 40 out of the 50 years that I've been on this earth so um, obviously I'm four fifths American, if you will, <laughs> um, but probably more than that, because of course, uh, so much of my upbringing and education and culture, you know, has been the, the American culture, if you will. So I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to go to medical school and, and go and be a missionary, uh, in the Amazon and other exotic places like that. My um, but really felt convinced that at a, at a certain point, I was halfway through my, Uh, second year uh, of school that music was my calling so I walked away from medicine couldn't walk away from all the student loans unfortunately but (laughs) I walked away from (laughs) medicine at that point and I went back to music and doing concerts and touring full time and at this point the only continent that I have yet to visit which I have to get to at some point is Antarctica. I've, (laughs) I've been able to perform on the other six. You'd so have a choir even if it's penguins. for a, a concert for the penguins, yeah, there you uh, go. I'm going to go to Antarctica.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Talk about happy feet. Yes. So, <laughs> so uh, in your bio, you say that you've traveled over 6 million air miles.
1: Yes. I can't even Probably imagine. had it not been for the pandemic, I might have um, crossed 7 million this year. I was pretty close, uh, over 6.8 uh, at this point, but obviously all of that traveling has, uh, slowed down significantly. So we'll see when, when I get to seven.
0: Now you, when you came to the U S uh, you had a special teacher that you met and, and who coached you, right?
1: Yes. Um, m- my family, uh, moved to, uh, um, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, uh, not long after, um, we arrived. So two months later, actually, uh, we went to Milwaukee and, uh, at the Wisconsin conservatory of music in Milwaukee, uh, we auditioned me and my sister who plays the piano to try to get scholarships because of course my parents didn't have any money. We were on welfare, um, wow. actually for about six months. Yeah. And it turned out that the teacher that uh, took me and offered me a scholarship after my audition, um, had been a student of one of the greatest violinists of the 20th century. Mm. His name was David Oystra, who had studied at the Tchaikovsky Conservatory of Music in Moscow. (laughs) Um, And maybe the reason why he took me, this gentleman, uh, is because when I went to my audition, uh, I played the first movement of the Beethoven Violin Concerto, uh, or most of it. Um, My parents had gotten a gift from a neighbor Uh, when we moved to milwaukee somebody that we didn't know but people started to find out that we had just arrived and we didn't have anything so they started bringing anything from food to pillows tables lamps chairs and somebody gifted my parents a record player with several records one of which had somebody playing the violin and since i didn't have a teacher i didn't have sheet music music books video instruction or anything my goodness uh, my mother said to me start working on the Beethoven Violin Concerto. And I said, "Um, but I don't have any music. She said, just listen to the record and learn (laughs) it and play it. (laughs) So so every day I would stand there and I would start to play along with the violinist. And, you know, I hundreds and maybe thousands of times I went back and forth to the beginning until I not only learned the concerto, memorized it, then started figuring out the notes and the positions and all of that. Well, when I go to... Uh, my audition with my future violin teacher, he asked me, he said, "Uh, what are you doing playing the Beethoven violin concerto? That's not something a 10 year old should be even looking at, you know? (laughs) And I said, well, that's the only music in my house. (laughs) And he said, what do you mean? That's the only music in your house. So I explained to him that somebody had gifted us this record. And, and he asked me, he said, by any chance, do you know who is the violinist that's playing on that record? Uh, and I said, yes. Uh, outside the sleeve, it says his name. His name is David Oystrach. And he said, he smiled and actually had a tear come uh, down his cheek. Uh, he said to me, David Oystra was my violin teacher. And oh as soon my. as you started playing, I recognized that style of his in your playing. <laughs> um, and he immediately give, gave me a, a scholarship.
0: That Man, is that's a great how, story.
1: That's how I began taking <laughs> lessons in this country. <laughs>
0: um, And, and you, you have played in so many kinds of venues. I first met you, by the way, uh, two mm-hmm. or three years ago. You were at my church here in Phoenix, crossing the desert. Yes. And you know Julius Keller. Uh, he yes. was the pastor at the time. He's now retired and living comfortably in southeast Arizona, southeast Phoenix Valley area. But I understand he still serves on your foundation board.
1: Yes, he is a member of our uh, of our foundation board. That's correct.
0: Yeah, so we we all love Julius very much. He's a power, yes, powerful yes. guy and uh, and and has a great heart for the Lord. But uh, yes, he does. So the venues that you've played in, I mean, I'm looking here at Carnegie Hall, the Lincoln Center, fancy cathedrals, stadiums, thousands and thousands of people, but. But then it doesn't matter to you. You go to the smallest of venues as well.
1: Yes, I have a a heart for connecting with people. And, you know, the biggest audience I've ever played for was 60,000 people. And when you have 60,000 or even 1,000, it makes it difficult, really, for you to connect, you know, with somebody (laughs) in the audience because there are so many people there. First of all, you're probably very, very far away from the audience. Um, and I, I often say that I I desire to look at every single person <laughs> in the eye during a concert of mine, you know, and that yeah. makes it very difficult, not only when you have so many people, but when they're so far away from you. Um, so I enjoy the smaller uh, uh, venues as well, where I can... I can gauge if people are falling asleep or they're enjoying it or what's going on. I can certainly tell. Um, And it challenges me to be more in tune with adapting or even changing on the fly. You know what the presentation may be uh, depending on the reaction of the audience. Mm. Um, I want to make people happy. I want to encourage them. I want to bless them. I want to touch them. And and if what I'm saying or doing isn't really doing that, then I'm going to, change course, you know, very quickly and then that's hard to do when you're in front of a, a thousand people and you can't really, you know, gauge yeah. their faces and their expressions and all of that. So yeah.
0: so uh and and your music is always uh to honor God, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, my parents taught me that the gift that I have and, and, and all the gifts that we have are from God and, and therefore that I should Strive to use that gift and those gifts to make a difference in other people's lives, not just for my own benefit, you know, glory or gain. Yeah.
0: So now today you are you are uh, you, you live and reside your your business in Chattanooga, Tennessee, right?
1: Yes, the great state of Tennessee, the Smoky Mountains, the Cherokee National Forest, country music, the Chattanooga choo-choo, and I can go on. <laughs> and then there's Jamie right there. So- and, then, and then there's me, a gospel violinist in, in, in the middle of country music.
0: <laughs> so um, I, I will tell you, by the way, the, the Brooks family that I'm attached to Came out mm-hmm. of a place called Ducktown, Tennessee, and it's oh, not, I know exactly where. It is. Oh my gosh, yeah. you do? Well, it, yeah,
1: yeah, it's close to North Carolina.
0: <laughs> it is. It's right next to Turtle Town, by the way. Mm-hmm. So anyway, mm-hmm. uh, the hills, mm-hmm. the hills, and back backstories that I've heard over the years are just some of them are kind of frightening, as a matter of fact. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, as you can only imagine. But I uh, so. You have uh, you have a website people can go to 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 listen to your music or purchase your music.
1: Yes, JamieGeorge dot com, and of course it's all spelled in Spanish. So it's J A I M E J O R G E. As my name is originally spelled in Spanish, Jaime Jorge. Um, and you know, in this day and age of technology, we're on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Pandora, Absolutely. you know, all of yeah. that stuff.
0: Yep. yep. So you're easy to find. In other words,
1: I sure hope so. You need to be easy and accessible these <laughs> yeah, days. <laughs> I know.
0: So I, I have a I have a a, a question about your violin. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I I confess I played violin when I was eight years old up until I was about mm. thirteen or fourteen years old, and then I went in the direction of of being interested in choirs and singing vo- vocally and i probably couldn't even okay. read read violin music anymore I, but but i did play for a short while not that i was yes. any good but i played <laughs> and and um and i'm just wondering uh what what kind of violin do you have is it a is it a super uh hard to find violin or is it a common violin or what what do you what do you play It's not a Stradivarius or something. Maybe it is.
1: I wish it was a Stradivarius, obviously, (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, the Stradivarius followed closely behind Guarnarius. Some people might even argue that they're about the same. Those are some of the best uh, and certainly most expensive Mm. uh, instruments in the world, uh, selling now in excess of $10 million. Oh, my Um, gosh. Yes. Uh, but at this point I don't think I could even afford the insurance on <laughs> an instrument like or, that. or the guards that you um, have to
0: have to follow you around.
1: <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and that's what makes it so challenging, you know? Yeah. Um, as I travel and I have traveled around the world, my violin is, is not worth anything like that. Um, but it's still worth a lot, um, for me yes. and certainly for, for other people as well. But, <clears throat> It is not one of those instruments made in the 1700s or 1800s. Actually, my instrument was made in 1960, which is a baby. It's only 60 years old, considering (laughs) the great violins are 300 years old, you know? Yeah. Um, But when I moved to Chicago in 1983, um, I was introduced to a wonderful violin maker and luthier um, by the name of uh, Mr. Carl Becker. Um, and he he was uh, recommended to me by my violin teacher. So I went to see Mr. Becker, who was a German gentleman who had come, um, you know, as a teenager to the U.S. and, and settled in, in Chicago. And he was recognized as one of the best luthiers in the world, and that means somebody who repairs and works on and fixes violins mm. and all of that. Um, and his family had started making uh, violins, And his family makes not only violins, but bows actually as well. Um, And he was in his, I want to say in his sixties back then, or maybe early seventies. Anyway, he lived um, nearly till the age of 100. Uh, And just a wonderful gentleman. When I went, I was just a kid, maybe 14, 15 years old when I went to his shop for the first time. But even at that age, the care, and the love that he treated oh. um, the instruments with was was palpable uh, and, and, and visible to me, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. so um, when I tried out different violins, and of course, different instruments, like different cars, have different strengths, right? Some cars are great about performance. Others are great with protection, you know, safety, that kind of thing. Others are the the luxury or the you know that kind of thing yeah and as i tried out different violins and the sounds and all of that um i i fell in love with a as i like to call it a master blaster an instrument that just (laughs) put out a lot of strength and a lot of sound and and good sound at that um and when i when i went to look at the the label it said carl becker and so (laughs) i was like wow Uh, is this you, you know, kind of thing. He's like, yes, I made that violin. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I said, you know, how much is it? And, and, and so he told me the price and this was 1989. I had already purchased two or three other instruments from him, sort of like working my way up, you know, starting at a $1,500 instrument. And $3,300, which is not a lot, but you know, this was nearly 40 years ago, 35 years ago. Uh, So you know, thirty-five hundred dollars back then, and for a family that just came from another country with nothing, yeah. uh, six years before, that was a lot of money. You know. Yeah. So when he told me the price of this one, I mean, it was several times what what I had paid for the previous violin, which is thirty-three hundred dollars, I believe. Um, I was just like, oh, there's no way that I can do this. And so, um, I had a friend who said, listen, you need a good instrument. I'm gonna do what I can to help you, and what he started doing was uh sending letters out to his friends and people that had been to some of my concerts that he knew you know doctors and philanthropists and 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 people who you know cared about supporting uh, good you know good good projects or programs or or people and amazingly enough you know i I had to beg, borrow, and steal, and uh, and came up with the money to, to purchase that instrument. And wow. I've had that instrument now for 31 years. Oh, my so, gosh. But just to give you a, um, uh, a sense and, and a reference point, um, I walked into my violin teacher's lesson uh, in 1988. And he said to me, now, my, my violin teacher had been a prodigy. Uh, the government of his country gave him a Stradivarius in the 70s. Oh, my God. um, And sent him to Brussels, and he studied there um, and then became an instructor at the Brussels Conservatoire de Musique, a very prestigious music school in Europe, one of the top Hmm. uh, schools in Europe. Uh, he, He said, hey, check out this bow that I just got. And so, you know, I grab it and I say, Man, it feels good, you know. Uh it's nice and balanced and weighted and all that stuff. I said, How much did you have to pay for it? He said, Well, I had to borrow money. And I said, Well, how much are we talking about? Twenty thousand dollars. He said
0: oh my.
1: Think about a stick, okay, that weighs just but a bow. few ounces. <laughs> just a bow. Well, that bow today is worth a hundred and forty thousand dollars. Oh my gosh. Yes. But it complements his seven million dollar instrument quite nicely, if you know what I mean.
0: Oh so. my gosh! So, so I'm trying to calculate how many strands uh, are of strings are there, and wow, how much per string is that? <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty. Well, that's pretty amazing.
1: <laughs> there are about 140 to 170 strands <laughs> of hors- horse tail hair in a violin, but thankfully those get changed out every six months, and it only. Costs between sixty and eighty bucks. So <laughs> you're really paying for the stick for That's the right.
0: wood. That's right. That's right. Oh my goodness! So, um, I you know, you just made me think talking about the history of the violin instrument itself. Uh, you made me think of this movie called The Red Violin. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen that? I have. It's, it's been sick. years since it's I've seen entertaining. it. entertaining. I might go look yeah, it up Samuel again. Samuel L. Jackson. Because the mm-hmm. movie uh, for our audience, if you've never seen it, it's a history of a violin generation after generation generation and centuries have gone by right and and all the hands that it fell into and Mm -hmm. uh i don't know if it's a true story or not but it's quite fascinating when you think about it and watch this right
1: yeah
0: that one that one instrument
1: if it isn't true it it would be very indicative of of what reality you know would be like for Ah, sure yeah um so, yeah, very, very good movie.
0: So uh, what's your so all of the different uh, crowds or, or audiences that you have performed uh, when you're when you're in a large venue? Is it just you or you have an orchestra, you have pianists, you have things with you, joining you
1: or is it just you? Very seldom do I get the chance to play with an orchestra. Okay. Um, that obviously requires you know, yeah. uh, either uh, sponsors or, you know, an orchestra inviting you to come and perform most of my concert, although I, I have done that and I, and I do that once in a while, most of my concerts are uh, me as a soloist nice. with the 75 piece orchestras that I have recorded several albums with uh, playing basically as the accompaniment in the background. Okay. Um, and sometimes I'll have a pianist, uh, and sometimes, uh, the concert will have a band, you know, and we'll focus more on all live stuff. Okay. Um, but, uh, m- most of them are that way.
0: What I enjoy about you having seen you, uh, play is that throughout, throughout the time that you're, you're on stage and you're playing, uh, first of all, it's all, uh, to honor Christ and 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 in between songs you weave your own story and 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 scriptures as well Mm -hmm. it's amazing
1: you know art i think that as human beings we want to establish a link with people we want to connect with people we want to we want to feel and sense their humanity because when we look at these celebrities and all of that, sometimes what that does is that creates a great wedge. You know, it puts them out of reach from us. But I think on a very basic level, we want to feel humanity and Mm -hmm. my desire in my concerts is to connect with people and remind them that I am human, just like they are, just like you are. And I have problems and I have stumbles and I have moments and I have, you know, all of those things. And what I'm trying to do is encourage people. You know, we all face trials. We all face tragedy, tribulation, sadness, mm-hmm. disappointment, all of those things. But we can, we can overcome them. How can we overcome them when yeah. we have the presence of God in our lives uh, that really gives us the strength that we need? Uh, Absolutely. and when we focus on serving him, I believe we gain a lot more than if we focus on serving ourselves or gratifying ourselves, you know, only.
0: Amen, brother. Hey, uh, we're, we're almost running out of time. Do you have something you could play for us uh, just to end, end our wonderful time together, Jamie?
1: Sure. Um, let me play something very simple, okay. but very beautiful by Beethoven. Um, now before we end the show, this, of... this
0: this will end the show. Mm-hmm. But what I I'd like mm-hmm. to remind everyone of your your uh, JamieGeorge right? Yes, and they can purchase your albums, correct. your music, see what you're about at that point. So so uh, yes. let, let, let's let's see what you have. All right. What a blessing. Thank you, Jamie. What a blessing you are to everyone. And thank you for being on The Rescuers Show, which honors those that are changing and saving lives, which you do with your music. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for having me. God bless.
1: Rescuers, Thursdays at 530 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM.